On this episode of EHS on Tap, we discuss the upcoming presidential election and the likely significant impacts on the environment, regardless of whether Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton wins or Republican nominee Donald Trump wins. On this episode, the 2016 election and the environment shaping our future, we speak with Senator Rob Hogue from the great state of Iowa. Senator Hogue has a rich history of public service and is currently serving his third term as a state senator for Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Rob has passionately advocated for policies and practices to improve natural resources. He also has extensive experience educating people in his home state and across the country to understand the dangers of climate change. In 2013, he authored America's Climate Century, a book about climate change and what it means for America in the 21st century and what we can do as Americans. Welcome to the podcast, Senator Hogue. Emily, I'm delighted to be with you. Excellent. Okay. So a lot has happened over the last year, and we are 15 days away from selecting our next commander-in-chief. So I want to spend a few minutes and get your take on both the candidates, um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and what their stance is on the environment. Let, let, let me just share with you some thoughts on that, Emily. I think um, Hillary Clinton is somebody who, who has a uh, real belief in being a leader uh, for action to address climate change. Um, I had the opportunity to, to introduce her when she gave a national energy and climate speech in November of 2007 here in uh, Cedar Rapids. And, uh, you know, in this election, I think she continues to raise the issue. Uh, she's the candidate who raised climate change three times in each of the three debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, was never asked about, but she raised it herself. Um, she supports expanding solar energy. She supports the EPA Clean Power Plan. Uh, she supports the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, she recognizes the problem. I think she. I think she'd be a leader on the issue. I don't think the Republican nominee uh, for president uh, shares those views. Uh, mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so it's a big issue. It's a big difference in this election. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll get we'll get deeper into exactly what you're talking about here in a, in a minute. So I want to ask you, Senator, what um, the next president will get to select this the Supreme Court justice to fill the late Justice Scalia's seat, and perhaps even a couple more seats over the next four years, or possibly even eight years. How significant do you think that this upcoming presidential nomination? is in terms of resolving current and future environmental controversies that go all the way up to the Supreme Court? Well, I think it's important, uh, but I will tell you, I think the Supreme Court is important for a lot of reasons, uh, not just uh, the environment and climate change. Um, and I, I, I do want to say one other thing on that, Emily, which is um, it it really is something that if we're going to deal with a problem like climate change, it's going to require the United States to act on the issue and sustain that action uh, for decades, right? Mm-hmm. We need to act on it and lead the world for decades mm-hmm. to address climate change. That's the magnitude of the issue. And and obviously the court can play a role in it. It has played a historic role in it uh, with the um, EPA versus Massachusetts decision that, that uh cleared the way for the EPA Clean Power Plan, and I know that's still uh, under consideration in the courts. Um, and, and, you know, so that it, it, it's, it's significant. But I think, uh, I think really it comes down to what Americans want and, and what do we want to do about that issue and sustain that issue for decades. Mm-hmm. So the court's important. The court's important on a lot of issues. 
but I don't think it's as important as what our political leaders uh, in 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 the White House and in Congress want to get done on the issue. Yeah, I I, I do have to agree with you on that point. So um, since you brought up the Clean Power Plan and the famous Massachusetts versus EPA case, um, I want to ask you about the EPA. So Texas, the state of Texas Governor Rick Perry famously stated in a prior debate that he would abolish the EPA. Now, do you think that there is a chance that the Republican uh, nominee Donald Trump would do the same, citing perhaps excessive regulations that are burdensome on local businesses? Well, I do think there's a chance of that, although I, you know, when I think about it, uh, you know, I think about one of the great uh, things about uh, the environment and climate change is the deep bipartisan tradition we have on supporting the issue. Uh, so, for example, the EPA was created by President Nixon, and President Reagan acted on uh, stratospheric ozone depletion with the Montreal Protocol. And the first President Bush um, did the uh, Clean Air Act amendments to deal with acid rain, and George W. Bush uh, passed the solar energy tax credits that had been so important in the rapid growth of the solar energy industry. So I think there's a lot of bipartisan tradition that we can draw upon uh, but I've not heard anything positive on that coming from the Republican nominee for president. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that I do think that is an issue. And then, of course, uh, if they actually went so far as to try to abolish the EPA, uh, well, what would they do with all those functions? Where where would those go? Uh, and I don't I don't think we really want to get back to a state by state regulatory framework because. So many of the environmental issues cross state lines, both on, on clean air and clean water. Yeah, so getting getting into that with respect to the Republican nominee, Donald Trump, he has previously stated that climate change is a hoax and a mechanism in inv- invented by the Chinese. So I'd like to get your perspective, Senator, on what kind of message this is sending to modern-day Americans, the future of America, as well as the rest of the world that seems to be progressively moving in a direction to take steps to solve climate change? Well, it, 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 it's just divorced from reality, quite honestly, uh, to say that climate change is a hoax created by the Chinese. I mean, that is, that is uh, just not in, in the realm of, uh, you know, uh, what's reasonable. Right. It's, you know, here's here's what we know. I mean, we know this science. We understand that that, uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere affect the climate. We know that we've known that for centuries. And we're changing it. And we're seeing, uh, you know, warming around the planet. Uh, And even even the leading uh, climate skeptics, and I read them all, uh, they agree with that, right? They they know that it's warming. They know that these gases have a warming effect, a heating effect on the planet. And and so for somebody to come up with this that it's a hoax created by the Chinese, I mean that's just that's just a denial of reality. And it, and and what we need to do is people accept the problem. Um, and and you can you can have be a healthy skeptic about it. Uh, that's fine. Skepticism's not a bad thing. Um, but at some point, you've got to look at what's happening around the world. And uh, we continue to set, uh, you know, record heat after record heat after record heat on the planet. And the consequences that's having for people today, right, uh, you know, you see more floods, uh, extreme storms. 
um, ecological disruption, sea level rise, ocean acidification. These things are happening. They have real consequences for people today. And the science tells us it's going to get worse. That's the bad news. The good news is we have solutions that work. And we really need to unite as a country around the solutions. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I, I do think that denying it um, does uh, sort of put us back uh, a step or two from, from some of the other progressive countries around the world. It puts us outside the mainstream, that's for sure. Right. Right, so now I want to switch to um, Hillary Clinton for a moment. So Hillary Clinton, as Secretary, Secretary of State, vowed to push through the Keystone XL pipeline, but then later changed her mind. Now she is in steps with blocking the pipeline. Is there any significance here also noting that um, President Obama was also pro-Keystone XL pipeline at one point? So my question for you, Senator, is do you think that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump will have any impact on um, the, the current controversies surrounding constructing cross-country pipelines, um, and then maybe you could touch on the current controversy going on in North Dakota. Yeah, well, it's actually a controversy happening in Iowa, too, because the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline will uh, cross Dakota, uh, mm-hmm. North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you what, it's uh, we've got people being arrested in Iowa right now protesting it, uh, landowners who are having their uh, property taken for that pipeline against their uh, will. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a real unfortunate uh, situation. Um, he, look, I think this presidential election uh, has a, a, an effect on decisions like this, but it's not as direct as saying, oh, this candidate will stop it and this candidate won't. Uh, although, you know, with Keystone, I think it is a situation where uh, I think the Republican nominee really has committed to building it. Um, directly, right? And so, you know, so that's there, that, right? That that's yeah. the issue sits out there. But here's the bigger point. If we had national energy and climate policy, if we had a policy as a country uh, that said, here's what we're going to do over the coming decades to address climate change, right? Or this is the direction we want to go. Uh, I don't think pipelines like this would be built. Um, you know, this pipeline is extraordinarily expensive. Uh, it's going to cost, um, you know, some, somewhere around $4 billion. This is the Dakota Access Pipeline I'm talking about. And I don't think people would be investing in that if they saw that the policy of the United States was away from fossil fuels and towards clean energy solutions. And, and as, you, as, Emily, you know, we've got so many clean energy solutions that work, we really don't need uh, the fossil fuels and the pipelines uh, the way that maybe 20 or 40 years ago we needed them. Right, so I, I'm assuming that your stance also would uh, parallel with uh, transporting fossil fuels via rail or uh, or a car. Yeah, look, uh, I personally, uh, I personally am uh, somebody who believes that we have to transition away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible mm-hmm. because we already have too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, and on, on the rail transportation side, you know, those that it. Um, Here's the difference between that and the pipeline. Uh, look, and I, I, I support uh, rail safety improvements because there are a lot of things we can do to make the transportation of oil by rail much safer than it currently is, and we should do that. But here's the difference. Uh, to transport it by rail doesn't require a sunk investment of billions of dollars. 
Uh, those rail lines already exist. They can be used for other things. The problem with the pipeline is once you've sunk the billions of dollars in building the pipeline, kind of unrealistic to think that you're not going to use it. Right. Uh, or what happens when you want to prematurely, um, you know, you might you might uh, say, well, in a few years, oh, my God, for climate reasons, we've got to shut this down, and somebody's going to be saying, well, I just spent $4 billion right. on a pipeline. Um, so we really do need to shift away from fossil fuel infrastructure uh, and, and build infrastructure that helps us deal with climate change, uh, water infrastructure, uh, better transportation infrastructure, rail lines. Uh, there are lots of infrastructure investments we need to make, but an oil pipeline just does nothing to help us, and it makes it much more difficult to, to address climate change the way we need to. Right, right. So so kind of building, uh, while we're, we're still on the topic of fossil fuels and energy, I want to ask you um, about fracking. And maybe this sort of hits a little bit more home to me um, because I'm originally from Oklahoma and the economy is hurting there. It, it's, it, it's not because there's not enough oil. There's actually too much oil. Um, and so drills are not drilling um, because the profits are down. So there have been numerous earthquakes linked to wastewater injection control with the practices of frac- fracking. Um, how do you think the next president should play this card with with respect to fracking? Well, and and, and this is another this is another issue where the candidates uh, disagree. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton will say, uh, you know, we should we should uh, do a better job regulating fracking. We, you know, and she's uh, favors policies to move us away from fossil fuels. Uh, the Republican nominee uh, just wants to burn everything as quickly as possible. The problem with what's happened in both Oklahoma and North Dakota on the economy is uh, we, because we didn't have a national energy and climate policy uh, to deal with it, uh, we've subjected places to a real boom-bust mm-hmm. uh, economic system, and, and, and that's not good. I mean, that's not good. There are a lot of people who, um, you know, a lot of damage gets done in the process, and it doesn't build long-term uh, wealth the way our rapidly growing renewable energy industries are. Um, so part of the part of the answer is we, we need to move away from fossil fuels. Specifically on fracking, uh, you know, I think we need to do a lot more on the regulatory front to the extent that we're going to continue to have fracking because we've got to safeguard our water. We've got it. We cannot be uh, doing these massive this massive experiment on the planet by we, these deep injections of chemicals and trying to break all the rock. I think it's. I think there. I think there's some real risks there. And the answer is, if we if we want, it, we need to slow down the effort on fracking. We need to uh, put in some safety regulations. And quite honestly, that's good for everybody in the long run because it gets you away from this uh, really destructive boom bust mm-hmm. type of situation that we're currently in. Yeah, I, I also agree with you on that too. Uh, boom bust is definitely something historically known to Oklahoma, um, and and I agree that it, it does cause uh, harm, more harm than good. Um, all right, so shifting a little bit away from energy, I want to speak to you about um, water quality and um, the lead poisoning going on in Flint, Michigan, which has been um, known. Uh, kind of qualified as an environmental justice issue or crisis that could have been prevented. It is estimated that over the next decade, we're going to need to transform and rebuild our water infrastructure 
so that we can ensure clean and safe drinking water for Americans. Do you have any thoughts on what happened in Flint? Uh, maybe you have some perspectives from uh, Cedar Rapids in Iowa um, or and what, what we should do to make sure history does not repeat itself. Well, I, d- I do have some thoughts on that. And, and here, here's the, you know, obviously we're, we're the, the Flint story is terrible. The, what has happened there uh, subjected a lot of young people to um, environmental harm. And, uh, you know, that has lasting damage. And what's so sad about it is it's really unnecessary. If we were, if we had a infrastructure investment program uh, as a country, we would be systematically uh, updating our infrastructure to make sure that it's safe, efficient, uh, environmentally superior, and we can do that. Uh, you know, we, we need a significant new investments in infrastructure. It puts people to work in the short run, and in the long run, you create a more prosperous and healthier society. And, and that's really what we need to do in, in the areas of energy and water. Uh, in Iowa, we've got huge problems with impaired waterways, mm-hmm. uh, largely, largely from uh, nutrient runoff. Um, and, and that's a major issue. We have over 700 uh, impaired waterways on our, our uh, 319 list. Uh, Iowa is the second leading contributor behind Illinois to Gulf hypoxia. Uh, and we've got communities in our state that are struggling to provide safe drinking water uh, just because of the high levels of nutrients in our water. Uh, and obviously there are places where we've got old and outdated infrastructure that also uh, create lead hazards and other hazards. Um, so again, on this issue, uh, just like with energy, there are solutions that work, and uh, you know we've got a lot of uh, natural, um, clean water control programs. We've got better infrastructure, and and these solutions improve water quality, provide safe drinking water. Uh, many of the solutions also help us deal on the flooding side of the issue. And as you may know, Iowa, we've had uh, significant problems with flooding. Uh, just this year, we've had two more uh, requests for presidential disaster declarations because of flooding in our state, and this is after, you know, we've had over 20 of those in the last 20 years. So uh, we we really do need to address water management better, and for, for uh, communities like Flint, in places where there is aging infrastructure, uh, we need a program so that we update that infrastructure, put people to work, and provide a, a more prosperous and healthy uh, future. I will say one other thing about Flint. Um, you know, there are, there are some indications there. I don't want to tell you that I'm an expert on, on what's happened in Flint, but there are some indications that there were some there were some really uh, reckless decisions made mm-hmm. by people about how to provide water. And obviously, that's something where you've just got to continually safeguard against that because that type of that right. type of decision making and, and behavior where you where you knowingly expose people to, to hazards is uh, is not acceptable. Yeah, a few bad actors on that really caused that catastrophe to really get out of control. Um, so finally, for my last question for you today, Senator, and you've, you've touched on this a little bit about uh, developing a national um, climate policy or uh, energy policy. So I want to ask you about Hillary Clinton's um, ambitious plan to ramp up renewable energy energy by constructing half a billion solar panels over the ne- next decade. Um, what do you think about this? 
Well, I think it's I think it's a great idea. I do want to sh- uh, share a couple things on that. Uh, first of all, I had the chance to speak uh, earlier this month with uh, President Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton was uh, here campaigning. I had a chance to speak with him about it, and he said he was speaking with some t- uh, college students in Kentucky about this very issue. And they told him, uh, President Clinton, we like your wife's proposal for solar energy. The only thing is he, uh, she's, she's a little low on what's going to happen, right? Um, this industry is growing rapidly. Yeah. Let me share, share Iowa's experience with you. Uh, in 2012, we passed a state tax credit in divide government. We passed a state tax credit for solar energy to match a portion of the federal credit. Since we've done that, we've had over 1,800 projects built, over $100 million invested in solar energy, and we now have over 700 people working in that industry in the state. It is rapidly growing. This year, and that was through December 31st of 2015, this year we're breaking all kinds of records with the number of projects, the size of projects. This is a rapidly growing industry. Uh, And, you know, in Iowa, we're already the nation's leader in wind power, uh, we get over 30% of our electricity from wind power, and solar and wind match each other very well, and we expect to ha- continue to have rapid growth in both industries. And, and it's putting people to work. These are solutions that work. They provide real electricity for real businesses, real customers, put real people to work in real jobs. So this is a real winner, and uh, I'm excited about what uh, Secretary Clinton is uh, proposing. And I think it will. I think it will uh, unleash a uh, clean energy revolution in this country, and and make us the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. So I think it's a great proposal. I I, I agree with those uh, young people in Kentucky who said that maybe her number was a little low. Yeah, am, ambitious for sure. Um, all right. Well, that's all we have um, on this episode of EHS on Tap. I would like to uh, thank State Senator. Rob Hogue from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for joining us today and sharing his ex- uh, experience on climate change and his predictions on what the election in 2016 will bring for the environment. So thank you for being here today, Senator. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, enjoyed the show, Emily. This podcast was brought to you by BLR. Thanks for listening, everyone.